Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for our time together so far. And Lord, uh, uh, what a beautiful reminder uh, that Your kingdom really is kingdom-wide. Lord, uh, always look forward to um, just being reminded of how big You are and what You're doing around the world. Sometimes, Father, we get consumed, uh, quite honestly, with ourselves and uh, what we see and experience just here in, in our own town. And sometimes, Father, we're, we need to be reminded that we serve a big God. You say that there is nothing too difficult for you. So, Father, uh, thank you. And, Lord, we do look forward to this evening. Lord, not just to be uh, entertained, but really, Lord, to, to worship. Lord, to participate as the family of God. Lord, uh, this isn't just a choir from Uganda. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is family. And uh, so, Lord, thank you for bringing them to us to bless us. And I pray that we would be a blessing to them in their time with us uh, this morning, this afternoon, and this evening. And, Father, now as we look at your word, Father, we have been learning, Lord, what it is to position ourselves to receive your grace first and foremost, through the Word of grace, the Word of God. And, and Lord, we've been challenged at the heart level, the fundamental level. What is the Word of God? What does it mean that it's authoritative? What does it mean that the voice of Scripture is the voice of God? Lord, what does it mean that we're to be doers and not just hearers? And, and then, Lord, uh, help us this morning to, to understand really what it is that we're looking at the perfect law of liberty, of freedom. So, Father, thank You. We ask You, again, through Your Spirit, help us to understand the Word of God, and then, Lord, bring the application. Bring the application, Lord, for it's in that that we are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Lord, be glorified and lead us now. And all God's people said, Amen. If you're joining us this morning, welcome. We... Spent uh, the last half, last quarter of 2018 looking at grace, God's grace, something that we're saved by grace, God's unmerited favor, but also we learned that it is grace that enables us, that empowers us to walk as followers of Jesus daily. What does it mean to receive God's grace, right? And then we were challenged in the last quarter, to, to not just say, oh yeah, I was saved by grace, but now I have to do everything in my own strength with my own effort. No. We're saved by grace, and we are sanctified, transformed by that same grace. Amen? And so we've been wondering, okay, Lord, if, if, if it's your grace that I need every day, 24-7, 365, how do I position myself? What do I do to be receiving your grace daily? Right, And we've seen as we kicked off 2019 that fundamentally it begins with what the Bible calls the Word of Grace or the Word of God. right? And it's very fundamental. right? I shared with you in our first Sunday, uh, Vince Lombardi, great football coach, starts training camp, right? This is a football, an American football, Martin, an American football, right? Fundamentals fundamentals, right? This is a Bible, right? Fundamentals, right? And, and, and I challenge you, encourage you, don't look past the fundamentals. If you were watching the NFL last Sunday, you know that both games really came down to fundamentals. Fundamentals. One, the end of the Rams-Saints game was a fundamental call by a ref. Fundamental. Now that fundamental imperfect, and you know, I give him the benefit of the doubt, he's human, right? Anyone here human? Anyone here imperfect? Right? Okay, so you've got to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Before we get too mad at him, you know, look in the mirror. But what it came down to was a fundamental issue. It was, it was just fundamentals. It wasn't anything very complicated. It was fundamental. And yet that fundamental decision has Lasting implications. Right? If you're a Ram fan, woohoo! Oh, I feel really bad. Right? If you're a Saints fan, what? Right? What? Fundamentals. Fundamentals. 
If you're watching the Patriots and the Chiefs, right? Patriots are driving, throws to Gronk, Gronk tips it, it's intercepted. Game over. The, the Kansas City crowd's going crazy, except for the fact that a guy lined up offsides. Didn't jump. You know, if you know football, there's a line of scrimmage and everyone has to stay on their side. He actually lined up. Flag. Fundamental. Like one of the first rules you learn in Ojai Eagles in sixth grade. Here's the line of scrimmage. Stay on your side and you stay on your side till they say hike. You learn that. That's like basic. And yet, in the championship game, one guy crosses the line. He's... And it's amazing because the ball's there and he's looking at it. If you see the ball that clear, there's a problem. You're supposed to see it here. Fundamental. Fundamental. Chiefs should have intercepted it. It should have gone the other way. Patriots would be going home. Chiefs would be going to the Super Bowl. Fundamental. Right? And I thought that, and I think I was, we were watching it, and, and Eileen, my youngest, looks at me and she goes, Fundamentals, Dad. <laughs> You know, I'm like, right, right. We just learned that this morning. Fundamentals, the basics. So easy as believers to look past. And then we go to the Bible and I say, this is a Bible. You're like, oh, here we go again. And we look past it. We think that we've outgrown the basics. We think that the kingdom kids, they need to learn the fundamentals. But us here in this room, you know, give us the meat. Give us the meat, Pastor. Right? Give us something deep. Right? And it's always a challenge because there's this weird pressure, maybe it's more an American church, that every week I'm supposed to, like, wow you. I'm supposed to present something you've never heard before. I'm supposed to, like, make you giggle. I'm supposed to, like, you go, huh. Right? There's this weird pressure that, that if I just open it up and I just teach the fundamentals, we're going to empty the place. Because we've sort of trained American congregations that it's all about this. And we've got to kind of feel something. We've got to be, mm, and the pastor's got to zing you. Right? Or, you know, and then, then we turn it, you know, then, then it's about the lights. And then we play music. And we're all trying now to create something here. And quite honestly... We can't in our humanness create anything. This is the Word of God and it needs the Spirit of God. Honestly. Honestly. At the, at the bare bones, if we just stood up here, opened it up, read Scripture, and kind of just taught you what it said, in the power of the Holy Spirit, He could transform the world. That was the early church. That was the early church. And yet, you know, now we kind of build and we got this really beautiful building and we can change the lights and we can do all kinds of stuff. And suddenly we create this pressure on me to, you know, create this thing. Honestly, at the fundamental level, I'm being real honest with you. As I was sharing with the leadership this morning, when you teach the fundamentals, for me, there's this huge step of faith because at a certain point, I have to ask God through the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts. Because there's this tendency in our humanness, there's a, a phrase, uh, familiarity breeds contempt. We're so familiar with stuff that we just become numb to it. We just do. We check out, right? I've been in church long enough to know that, honestly, sometimes when we announce that there's a mission Sunday, X percentage won't even come to church because it's just the mission Sunday. Or... Youth Sunday over at the other church community. We used to once in a while have Youth Sunday. You put out, the youth are leading the church. You are leading service. For whatever reason, it was an excuse to go get donuts that morning and have breakfast because it's just, it's just youth service or it's just mission Sunday. And it's like, where does that come from? It's, it comes from this consumer mentality that church is supposed to like feed your need. When the truth is, we're here because of Him. We're here to say, Lord, you know, I've shared with you before, when you come to church, are you coming to be a, a, a getter or a giver? Sometimes we come to church and say, Lord, I hope we get a good sermon. I hope we get good music. I hope we get good donuts. Right? I hope we get. How many of you woke up this morning and said, Lord, I want to be a giver today. 
I want to give love. I want to give a smile. I want to give a handshake. I want to give a prayer to someone. What would that do in your Sunday morning if you came and you woke up this morning, every Sunday you said, Lord, we're going to the well. I want to be a giver. I want to bless one person today. I want to bless one person. I want to be a giver, not just a getter. Right? It's fundamental. That is so fundamental. That is just how the body of Christ is supposed to operate. And yet we flipped it and we slide away from the fundamentals and suddenly Sundays are filled with buildings where people are coming to get because we're the hired guns. That's why we give so you can, we can get. Where did that come from? But see how easy it is to slide from the fundamentals? And that's why we're staying here. And so we've been looking at the Word of God, right? We know it's fundamental. In, in 1 Peter 2, it says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Right? This is it. Spiritual growth. How many here want to grow spiritually? Be more like Jesus. Right? Bible says, right here. We've been asking the question, okay, so if I want to grow spiritually, and this is foundational, this is the milk, why don't I just want this all the time? Why do I struggle with reading my Bible? Why aren't I just lit? Like when I read Psalm 119, and he's all excited. Oh, Lord, the Lord, your word is my delight. It's like honey. I can't wait to do it. How many of you have read that and go, wow. I couldn't even find mine this morning, and he's all excited about his, right? What's going on? What's going on? Well, it's a heart issue. We've been looking at the heart issue. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do. So your, your desire, your motivation, your heart for the Word of God comes from your heart. So if you're struggling with the Word of God, you've got to go look at your heart. You've got to ask God to show you your heart, right? To show you your heart. So what have we seen? We saw that first heart issue, that it's authority. It's authoritative. Second Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So first heart issue, it's God-breathed. It's authoritative. The voice of Scripture is the voice of God. And we spent that week really examining our hearts about being told what to do. Right? How many of you are challenged with being told what to do? By the person next to you even. How many are excited? <laughs> yeah, we got a big amen over here. Right? There's something in us. Something in us. Someone, the authority figure comes in says, hey, da, 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 da. even if it's for our good, parents, even if it's for their good, how many of you wish that your little ones would just believe it was for their good when it was time to go to bed? Just believe. I'm not trying to ruin your life. I'm not trying to be like the mean popo parent. It's really good that you sleep. How many of you would just love it if your, your kids said, Mommy, thank you for loving me so much. I shall go to sleep. How many would just, you would faint. You would like, what? Who is this? Right? You would have this like, there's this heart issue. Right? There's this, we all, we all struggle. Bill still, how old, you're like in your 60s. He still has a hard time with authority. With me. He has a hard time with me. Right? Right? So we talked about authority. It's authoritative. Ugh. Okay. It's from God. Help me, Lord, help me deal with that. Right? We talked about that. Right? Then we talked about, last week, this idea of hearing and doing. Hearing and doing, right? In Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. This is very famous. It's called the Shema. Everyone say Shema. Right? Shema. That's how it's pronounced. No E in there. It's just Shema. Everyone say Shema. Right? What that is, it says here, in the Hebrew, hearing and doing are inseparable. It's inseparable. Now, in our Greek, Western culture, 
we kind of, again, you hear something and you kind of choose whether or not you want to obey. Parents, huh? right? We talked about that. In the Old Testament, in the Bible, hearing and doing are inseparable. In fact, the Shema, go ahead, here's some, here to help you understand it. You listen with the intent to obey. I do not hear unless I respond. To hear is to act upon the word spoken. Okay? It's inseparable. So if you, if you will understand Shema, you're going to understand the Old Testament so much better. Whenever we say, hear, O Israel, or the Lord says, thus says the Lord. Every time they heard something, it was just taken for granted you were going to do it. Just taken for granted you were going to do it. Right? Shema. Right? So at home... When your kids, you tell your kids to like go to bed or clean up their room or turn off the TV, they don't have a hearing issue like they didn't hear the audible sound waves. What they have at home, what you have at home, is a shamaying issue. It's a shamaying issue. Because how many of us have said to our kids, didn't you hear what I said? The implication being, you were supposed to do it. You were supposed to do it. So even in our culture, we kind of know Shema, hear and do is one, right? In James, we saw last week, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's in the New Testament, right? He says, if you hear it, if you come to church and you think that listening to me and a sermon is all you need to do, and then you tuck it away and you leave and you do nothing with it, the Bible says you're deceived. In fact, it's a strong word. It's deluded. You're deluded because it's Shema. You can't separate hearing and doing, right? The example also we talked about last week was the mirror, right? He talks about in that verse, he says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like, right? So we talked about the mirror. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? How many of you had your mirror talk to you this morning? How many of you mirror talk? Now, how many of you listened to your mirror today? Joyfully. How many of you were thankful that your mirror pointed something out to you this morning? Right? So we all have mirrors, and we look in the mirror, and we say, Mirror, please, talk to me, right? <laughs> Mark, what did your mirror say to you this morning? Totally hair. Hair. Mark, do something with your hair. I did. Yeah. You did, right? Mark, were you upset at your mirror this morning? No, I was very appreciative. You were very appreciative that the mirror spoke something that was out of place, right? We embrace what the mirror says to us because we believe that the mirror is good, right? Because we believe deeply in our heart that it's good, we want it to show us things that need to be corrected before we come to church, amen? Right? What if we looked at the Word of God that way? That the Word of God is simply a spiritual mirror. And God is like, hey, it's good. I love you. I'm just going to show you something in your character. I'm just going to show you something that, that you can correct so that you can glorify me out in the world. What if we looked at the Word of God that positively, received it, looked at it and said, oh, spiritual mirror, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. Show me what, what, what I don't see. Show me what I don't see. How many have woken up in the morning, kind of felt fine, and actually thought you were good until you looked in the mirror. You, right? How many of you ever had one of those moments in the mirror and you're like, whoa, what happened last night? Did I sleepwalk? Did I go take a walk around the block? What happened? Right? We kind of had this blind spot. We kind of had this blind spot, right? And in the physical, it's crazy, right? Because Mark, Mark has this mirror and then some of us are so consumed with getting the imperfections that we do the magnification boom <laughs> right we normal's not enough we need to go 10 times to get the smallest detail right what if we did that with the word of god what if we what if we, we said lord show me what's going on in my heart show me what's going on in my life show me what i don't see because i wake up i don't see it my wife sees it my kids see it. I'm, I could walk out if I, you know. I remember one time we, we went, uh, took some high schoolers whitewater rafting and rock climbing. 
And uh, there was this rule, because we were going tent camping and, or just kind of sleeping out under the stars, and you couldn't bring a mirror. You could not bring mirrors. And this was before cell phones. This was back in the uh, early 90s. Before cell phones, right? It's crazy. And I remember one of the students, oh, man, she was struggling. And I, and I love her heart. You know why she was struggling? She was a model. She already was doing modeling. And when she found out you could not bring a mirror on this camping trip, not that she was over the top, but every time she just, you know, she's a model, so she grew up always put together at school, come to youth group, not over the top, but just always put together, right? Oh, my goodness. It took a little bit of convincing, right? No mirrors and no makeup was kind of the deal. And she came. And she was liberated. It was a beautiful thing to work with her and to shepherd her and for her to feel love and and freedom. She didn't realize how much she had become in bondage to the fear of man and what people were thinking of her. And so when you eliminated some things and you came and she found freedom and love, just just unconditional love for who she was, that weekend transformed her life. It transformed her life and her self-image. And she became so... Uh, at peace with who she was in Christ and not her outward. It's such a beautiful thing, right? So it's a mirror. It's just a mirror, right? It's inseparable. And yet, look at James 1.22. This is in the NIV. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, right? It just says, do what it says. Okay, you can read that and you go, okay, so we're just supposed to do it. I get it. Obedience. Just do it, right? And I was looking through that and I'm like, Lord, what, what is it? What are you saying? And you, you study this and I'm, I'm looking at different translations. And in the ESV it says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And I said, ah, oh, there's the heart issue. See, in the NIV it said, do what it says. And if we're not careful, that's just compliance. Sure, I can do it. I can do it grudgingly. I can do it just because I'm afraid of punishment. I can just do it. But the, the ESV says, and I underlined it, it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. See, a doer gets to the heart because it's who you are. It has to do with who you are, not just what you do. Right? So the question is, do you just do it, or are you a doer? Radical difference if you stop. You've got to think about that. When it comes to the Word of God, if I were to ask your spouse, your kids, your friends, right, your colleagues who know you're a believer, they say, hey, tell me, tell me about Mark. I'm going to give you two options. Is Mark just a do-it guy, or is he a doer? They say, what do you mean? Well, just in your sense of Mark. Does he kind of just do the word of God and then he gets on with his life? Or is he a doer in the sense of like who he is? It's just who he is. As a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, he's just a doer by default. It's not an add-on. Right? That, that word doer, it means something that someone does as an occupation, like a producer, a poet, or an author. Right? Mark, Mark's wife is an artist. Extremely talented artist. Has some done paintwork here. She's an artist. It's who she is. It's her gifting, right? Now, I can sort of make something. I can do, but she's a doer. I can make a piece of art. She's an artist. It's who she is. It comes out. It's just part and parcel, right? So what they're saying in, this, in, this, in, in James 1.22 is, hey, just don't do it. Be a doer. So question this morning. Where are you on this? Do you just do it? Or are you a doer? Is it who you are? Is it who you are? Are you a doer of the word? Right? And that's a heart issue. That, that, that becomes a heart issue because if we're just doing it, well, we can just do it. 
That's just hands and compliance. We can just do it, but our heart can be far from it. But if I'm a doer, it actually speaks to who I am in Christ. It speaks to my love. What does Jesus say? If you love me, you will obey me. So obedience is a fruit of love. So being a doer comes out of love. You see the difference? I can do a lot for Jesus and not love him. In fact, I can come to church every Sunday. I can do church and not love Jesus. Or I can love Jesus and then I could do church. Amen? See the difference? See the difference? We're called to be doers, not just do-it-ers. Fundamental. You got you to chew on that. I don't even have time. To just, you got to think about that. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. In fact, I was thinking this as a youth pastor and as a parent who raised five kids. I wonder, I wonder, as a youth pastor, was I presenting the Word of God to junior high and high schoolers as just a bunch of rules? Do it. Don't do it. Do it. Don't do it. Or was I trying to get them to fall in love with the author so they want to? Radical difference to your approach. Radical difference to the approach to the scriptures. Right? Got to ask yourself, how do you really see it? How do you really see it? Because a doer, in those verses, right, they persevered, they look intently at it, right? We're going to look at this verse more next week. They look intently at it, they persevere, right? But they fundamentally look at the Bible Maybe differently than you and I. And here, here's what I want to Anybody here, and, and you, know, you don't have to raise your hand, anybody here grow up kind of thinking that this was God's rule book? Mostly rules about what you're not supposed to do to stay on God's good side. Right? Hands up, me. There's a rule book. Well, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Right? Just try to stay on God's side, good side. Just do's and don'ts. I didn't see this. In fact, I saw this... Kind of as bondage. Kind of as like ugh, suffocating. Kind of like, oh, okay. Right? A lot of our approach, if you want to be a doer, you've got to kind of ask yourself, how do I see this? Just like honestly, what's your perception of, of the Word of God? Right? So let, let, me, let me give you a little challenge, like, uh, example. I've used this before. I'm going to put up the word evil on the screens. Go ahead, Garrett. Did it freeze? Yeah, that's it. All right. So how many see the word evil right there? E-V-I-L. Anyone see evil? Right? Except Garrett. Point made. How many of you see evil? How many see evil? Mostly because I said you're about to see evil. Now, how many, including Garrett, see good? All right? So here's the thing. Depending on how you were raised and what you heard about this, it colors your view. Not that this is evil, but it's not a positive book. It's rules. It's rule-keeping. It's bondage. It's suffocating. It's impossible. Now let me ask you a question. If you have all these beliefs about this book that aren't positive, how many of you are going to wake up before sunrise and want to read it? If fundamentally your view of this book is negative and it creates all this vibe in you, how many of you are going to want to do the yearly reading plan? Especially when you hit the tabernacle directions. Right? I do that because I'm with you. And I'm like, okay, this is good. I, I'm, okay, Lord. One more pole made of acacia wood. Okay. Okay. I need God's grace. Get through, get through two chapters of Exodus. I need God's grace. Right? So the question is, right, some of us are raised and this book maybe didn't have a very positive vibe to it. And it's affecting how you even want to read it. You don't want to memorize it. You don't want to study it. You don't want to come to church and listen to someone teach from it. But what if 
you were wrong. What if fundamentally it is good? What if fundamentally this is a good book? In fact, the best book. In fact, God is good and all the time. Okay, so if God is good, what does that mean about his word? God's word is good. Is it? Uh, Careful. Careful, because tomorrow morning's coming. And if you just said God's word is good all the time, that includes O Dark 30 when you're supposed to be reading it. Oh. Oh, every word is good all the time, right? Right? So it has to do with, we want to be a doer. We've got to ask ourselves, how do I view this? Because in this passage, a doer sees this very specifically, right? In James 1.25, it says, but the one who looks into what? The perfect law, the law of liberty. Yeah? You want to be a doer? The question is, how do you see this? Because according to that passage in James 1.25, this is seen as the perfect law. And here it is. The law of liberty. Liberty. Now, I'm going to guess that not many of us in this room ever equated the Bible with liberty. Honestly. It was rules. It was keep. Most of us, that's your image of the Bible. And if you mess up, you're going to get called to the principal's office in this big principal. He calls it the law of liberty. The perfect law, the law of liberty. In Psalm 19.7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statute of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. In that verse, when it says the perfect law, he's not talking about the Mosaic law. He's not talking about that law. That law was given, and we saw this a couple weeks ago, the Mosaic law was given what? To show us our sin. The Mosaic law was shown actually was to be impossible. That was the bondage law. And it was impossible to keep. Why? So that we would come to God and experience His grace. That was the purpose of the Mosaic law. That's not what he's talking about here. In this passage, he's talking about the law of the new covenant in Jesus. The law in Jeremiah that says he'll write it on your heart. That's the law he's talking about here. The new covenant law in Jesus, Right? John 1.17 says, The law was given through Moses. That's the Mosaic law. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's the new covenant law. Grace and truth. Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's the Mosaic law. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. That's the Mosaic law. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. I love that passage. What he's saying is, hey, you know what? That Mosaic law, fulfilled in Jesus. It was fulfilled in Jesus. And when you come to a new covenant relationship with Jesus, here's the beautiful thing. You're free. Oh my gosh, freedom. Right? And yet here's the thing. You have to be very careful how you define freedom. You have to understand freedom from a biblical worldview. Because the world says freedom is absence of restraint. That is not biblical freedom. Right? Judges 21.25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They thought they were free, but they were, that actually is, a, is a, it's an indictment of the spiritual and moral decay of that culture. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. They threw off God, right? You look around culture today. What's going on? That's what's going on. People, but people think they're free. They're deceived. It's not true freedom, right? Proverbs 14:12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is a way of death. Proverbs 12:15 The way of a fool is right in his own eyes but a wise man listens to advice. The question What's your definition of freedom? Do you see this as freedom? 
Because that's what a doer does. Charles Kingley says there are two freedoms. The false, where a man is free to do what he likes. The true, where a man is free to do what he ought. Right? Biblical freedom at its core, here's the thing, frees us to glorify God. That's true freedom. To want to do what we ought to do. That is true freedom. Now, some of us, you're going to have to wrestle with that because it goes back to authority and you don't want to be free. You can't, you're not the boss of me. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to be free. Well, the problem with that thinking is that biblically, every person born on this planet is actually a slave to something. What is it? You're a slave to sin. You're a slave to sin. So on the horizontal plane, man to man, you might think, oh, I can do whatever I want, I can do whatever I want. Spiritually, you and I are slave to sin. John 8, 34, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And yet he says before that, John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. True freedom. True freedom is for me to want to do what God wants me to do. That's a person that's really free. To want to do what God wants me to do is true freedom. It's true freedom. Warren Wisby says this, Freedom does not mean I am able to do whatever I want to do. That's the worst kind of bondage. Freedom means I've been set free to become all that God wants me to be, to achieve all that God wants me to achieve, to enjoy all that God wants me to enjoy. When God saved you, he gave you a new life, not a new law. As you yield to that life, you obey his law. Romans 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer, everyone say no longer, be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. That's why this is called the perfect law of liberty. If you are a believer this morning, on the authority of Romans 6, on the authority of the voice of Scripture, which is the voice of God, you have been set free from sin. You are no longer a what? Slave to sin. Woo! You are no longer a slave to sin. Dr. Ray Pritchard, you don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to live in defeat anymore. You don't have to be down anymore. You don't have to go years and years and years committing the same old dumb sins over and over again. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life of Christ Jesus has set you free. Therefore, if you choose to dwell in sin, if you choose to be defeated, it's because you've chosen to live that way, not because you must live that way. Amen? That's what, as, you know, as a pastor, almost 30 years, you know what just... I gotta be honest with you, what, what just crushes my heart, what just like, ah, oh, it just, it, it, it just rips my heart to shreds, is that when someone chooses, chooses a path away from God, because it's a choice. It's a choice. And that, I gotta be honest with you, that just, it's, it's so painful. Because it's a choice. You don't have to. You're like, what? It doesn't mean that those habitual sins and that way of thinking and the way you talk is, isn't going isn't, to... God might take it away like that or he might do it for the rest of your life. Amen? But the truth is, you're set free. You're no longer a slave to sin. That's weighty. Now, it's weighty in the responsibility sense because you can't say, I have to. You can't say, the devil made me. It's weighty because you've got to own it. I chose to. You got, it's weighty because you have to say, yeah, I know, but I'm choosing this path. You've got to own it. But it's also like crazy good because you're like, woohoo! I don't have to. 
Who likes the phrase, I don't have to anymore? I don't have to. I don't have to. You don't have to sin. You don't have to. Because Romans 6 says you're no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave. And what I love about this is that it's all God's grace because Philippians 2 says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more my absence, continue to work out, bring it to completion with fear and trembling, your salvation. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Here's the crazy thing. How many of you would really, really like to be more like Jesus? Question, who is giving you that desire? Where's that desire coming from? God, not you, not in your flesh. That's a God thing. Who is empowering you to do it? That's freedom. True freedom is me wanting to do what God wants me to do. Well, the crazy thing is, God puts that desire in my heart and the power to do it. See, this truth is what set the church on fire. People were under bondage to the Mosaic law for hundreds and hundreds of years. They come and they go, what? I'm free? I don't have to be shackled by my past? I'm a new creation? Brand new, never existed before? I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit? I don't have to sin? That's crazy. But I hope some of you, it's putting a smile on your face. Because the truth is, you've been lied to. And you bought into the lie. And you've been suffering under deception or whatever it is because you believe it's just me always been this way can't teach an old dog new tricks according to the word of God you can begin right now in the power of the Holy Spirit to live a supernatural life to break old habits to walk in such newness of life that tomorrow when you show up at work, people will be like, what happened to you? And you just said, I'm free. I'm free. Come on. Deep down, I know some of you are just like, oh, you know, I, I, I thought Christianity would just sit there and be quiet and, you know, and do this and do that. And don't do And all of a sudden you're like, no, I'm free. Be crazy free for Jesus. Go just be crazy free. Don't overthink it. All you need to know about God's will is right here. Read it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Go do it. Because you're free to. You're free to do it. It's the perfect law of liberty. It's the perfect law of liberty. You're no longer a slave to sin. So think about that habitual sin. That you think that you've been that you have been in bondage to. Think about it right now. Your thought life, your words, whatever. I don't know. Whatever habit, what internet, what are you reading? I don't know. It's your sin. God knows. And now put that against the perfect law of liberty that says you're no longer a slave to that. If you choose. It's a choice you make. It's a choice you make. And there's a devil out there and he's going to be throwing stuff at you and trying to lure you back. Hey, that Bible, oh, it's boring. That Bible, ah, that's just that big principle in the sky. He's trying to ruin your life. Eh, that's not liberty, Mark. That's just bondage. It's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. He's trying to reel you back. This is the perfect law of liberty. You are no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer. Do you believe that? Because if you do and you bring it from here to here, you become a doer. You just start doing. And I'm not talking doing stuff around the church. I'm just talking living for Jesus, crying out loud. Become a doer. There's a holiday on June 19th. Many of you... Kind of a celebration, maybe not national holiday. It's called Juneteenth. It's a mixture of June and 19th. So it happens on June 19th. It's called Juneteenth. And Juneteenth commemorates when a Union general 
showed up at Galveston, Texas. And this Union general showed up at Galveston, Texas to tell the slaves that they were free. The interesting thing about Juneteenth is that Major General Gordon Granger landed at at Galveston two and a half years after Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. Two and a half years. Lincoln had given the Emancipation Proclamation, you know all that. took two and a half years for the Union soldiers to show up at Galveston and say, hey, by the way, the president says you're free. I wonder what that was like for them to realize that they had officially been declared free for two and a half years and yet had been living in slavery unnecessarily, really, legally. They were free. Might be Juneteenth for some of us this morning. Some of you this morning, it's been more than two and a half years. Maybe it's been 20 years and you've been in slavery to something. You've been in bondage to something. And you just didn't know. You really just didn't know that you were set free when you believed in Jesus. For whatever reason, you just didn't know. You just didn't know. So don't beat yourself up for not knowing. The question is, what are you going to do now that you know? Now you know. It's Juneteenth, I believe, for some people in this room. God's telling you through your Holy Spirit, you're no longer a slave to that thing. Whatever you've given into, whatever you thought was your lot in life for the rest of your life, today you can claim on the authority of Scripture that you are no longer a slave to that sin. Amen? And it's going to be tough. It's going to be scary. I've shared with you before kind of my journey in this areas growing up before I knew Jesus of fears and anxieties and things that that just put me in bondage to where I couldn't even drive a car right. I couldn't even think right. I used to think that people, if they were watching me, probably thought I was a little crazy because I was so caught up in trying to just manage fears and anxieties and, and all these behaviors and all this stuff, just crazy stuff, crazy stuff. And I remember I was like, came to know Jesus and I'm, I'm reading scriptures and I'm like, Lord, I'm you know what happened to me growing up? You know how I still get triggered by stuff, even today, 52? I still get triggered by stuff that happened in junior high. Lord, I'm reading it, and you're saying I'm no longer a slave to sin, but man, oh man, when stuff happens in my life, I get triggered. Something can happen today, I guarantee you. Something can happen today before I leave here, and I will have an emotional response as if I'm back in seventh grade, and it's happening all over again. So I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying that necessarily the triggers go away. What I have learned in my life is that I need God's grace because when that trigger happens, and it happens several times a week still, when that trigger happens and I start to go into this spiral downward and I'm feeling like I'm a 6th and 7th grader, the only thing I got sometimes, honestly, is to say, God, you tell me I'm not a slave to that. God, you tell me I'm a new creation. God, you tell me that I don't have to go down that path anymore of just getting consumed with all the what ifs and the worst and just. So I just share with you from my own experience. If you think it's going to take a miracle of God's grace for you to appropriate the truth that you're no longer a slave to sin, I'm going to tell you right now, it will. And you're going to get triggered and all the old habits and all the old lies and all the stuff that you've taught yourself all those years just to survive is going to come back and you're going to have them all here and all you're going to have here is the Word of God and you're going to have to pick which one. So my walk with Jesus, honestly, every day when stuff comes and I get triggered, I'm in the middle and I hear this and I see this And it's just a choice to come here. That's all I do. Some days I do better. Some days I don't do so good. But in the end, it's just because I chose. It's just a matter of which voice I choose to listen to. That's all it is. I just want to encourage you. 
Maybe it's Juneteenth. Maybe it's Juneteenth. And it's not a one-off. Juneteenth for me happens more than, more than once every day. I experience Juneteenth because I just need to be reminded that I'm no longer a slave to sin. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Lord, thank you for our freedom in Christ. Lord, we don't want to just be people who do, do the word. We want to be doers, which means it's our heart. It's our heart. C.S. Lewis has a quote. It says, Obedience is the road to freedom. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray for us. I pray that um, you would speak truth to our hearts about who we are in Christ and the freedom we have in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been set free in Jesus. And so for those here who have been in bondage and maybe just didn't know, I pray that today would be their Juneteenth. That they would celebrate, deeply celebrate that they are free in Jesus. And that today they would choose to take one step, one small step of faith and trust your word, the perfect law of liberty. So Lord, here's our hearts. We open them up. Speak truth to us. We confess. We confess our sin before you. You know us. There's nothing hidden. Please just speak truth. Set us free to be who you are.